the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is underway now at eight minutes past ten o'clock on this Wednesday, the twenty-first morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, twenty nineteen. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to dive right into what I promised you before the top of the hour break, and that is the second of the three R's. It is kind of running concurrently with recession. I'm talking about racism. Uh, they have decided the left has that their path toward victory in twenty twenty is to declare Trump, uh, pr- uh, President Trump a Russian operative. Then it's racist, and now it is a recession that they are going to blame on Donald Trump, even though they are themselves calling for it to happen. The president, of course, is doing everything he can to continue to grow what is already a fantastic economy with great wages and great employment, the highest record, uh, record number rather, of uh, uh, employed Americans in this country's history. Uh, all of those things are fantastic. But I want to go back to the second of the three R's. I want to talk about race. Heather McDonald headlined... Trump isn't the one dividing us by race, uh, a piece that I want to share with you now. Heather McDonald is with the Manhattan Institute. She's a fellow there. She's the author of The Diversity Delusion, How Race and Gender Pandering Corrupt the University and Undermine Our Culture. She is also the author of The War on Cops. She has done great work finding all of the statistical evidence to disprove um, the hands-up-don't-shoot and the entire Black Lives Matter narrative uh, that police are somehow predisposed to um, shooting or attacking or using uh, unnecessary force against minorities in this country. So Heather is an expert in this field. Long before the El Paso massacre, President Trump's political opponents accused him of sowing division with his racist language. Mr. Trump exploits race, uses race for his gain, engaged, is engaged in a racially divisive reprise of his 2016 campaign. He stokes racial resentments. He, put, he uh, puts race at the fore. 
according to the New York Times. Those are several headlines and statements by the New York Times over the past several months. Yet Mr. Trump rarely uses racial categories in his speech or his tweets. It is the media and the Democratic leaders who routinely characterize individuals and groups by race and issue race-based denunciations of large parts of the American polity. The uh, Some examples. As race dominates the political conversation, 10 white Democrat candidates will take the stage. That was the Washington Post. Mr. Trump's rally audiences are overwhelmingly white. Multiple sources. Your son's whiteness is what protects him from not being shot by the police. Senator Christian Gillibrand. White candidates need to be conscious of white privilege. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. White supremacy manifests itself in the criminal justice, immigration, and health care systems. Cory Booker. Michael Brown was murdered by a white police officer in Ferguson, Missouri. Elizabeth Warren. Whiteness is the very core of Mr. Trump's power, whereas his predecessors made their way to high office through the passive power of whiteness. Tanishi Coates in The Atlantic. All of those are examples. John Paul uh, Guizot, I think is how you pronounce his name, in Los Angeles, um, spoke with a number of political experts on the current state of the 2020 election field and found more of the same. Liberal opinion deems such rhetoric fair comment, even obvious truth, not racially divisive. America's universities deserve credit for this double standard. Identity politics dominate higher education. Administrators, students, faculty obsessively obsessively categorize themselves and each other by their race. White privilege, often coupled with toxic masculinity, is the focus of freshman orientations and an ever-growing array of course offerings. Any institutional action that affects a person of color is about race. If a black professor doesn't get tenure... He's a victim victim of discrimination. A white professor is presumed to be unqualified. If a white professor gets tenure, it's because of white privilege, not because of work, experience, and qualifications. That interpretive framework explains asymmetries in how the political and media elites analyze the Trump phenomenon. Susan Rice, you remember Susan Rice. She was President Obama's national security advisor, shockingly recently denounced Mr. Trump's almost daily attacks on black and brown people. But almost and black and brown are superfluous. Mr. Trump's attack on his fellow 2016 candidates and and on more recent adversaries as homogenous as Robert Mueller, Representative Adam Schiff, Joe Biden, and Mrs. Warren were as nasty as anything he's directed at Elijah Cummings or Representative Ilhan Omar. I'm going to stop there and I want to underscore that. Heather is, is, is onto a very important point here. President Trump's attacks on his political opponents who are just like him, white, have been by far the most personal and the most insulting of all attacks he has ever levied against another a political opponent. His treatment of Senator John McCain, a man, by the way, that I think a lot of people are reevaluating in terms of who he was and what he stood for, particularly with his nonstop never Trumpism in his later years. But his treatment of John McCain, if he spoke of anybody of color the way he spoke of John McCain, oh my goodness, it would be 
I can't tell you what the mainstream media would do with that. How can he be so violently angry and insulting toward this man of color, this senator, this war hero, if this person was black? It's bad enough. I mean, he's been ripped for it. But nobody mentions the fact that John McCain's white. Adam Schiff, pencil neck, Joe Biden, creepy, sleepy Joe. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, Focahontas. Ted Cruz called him Lion Ted. Little Marco Rubio. He insults everybody of every color based upon the proportionate threat, proportional threat that they pose to him. If Ted Cruz is a threat, he's going to go after him hard. If Elizabeth Warren is a threat, she's going to be targeted. And it has nothing to do with their skin color because they're white. But have him turn and do the same thing to Ilhan Omar and Sharia Tlaib or Elijah Cummings or others who have been completely... um, I won't say threats to him in terms of campaigns, because they're not candidates for president, but they have been some of his most fierce and harsh critics from their very prominent positions in the United States Congress. If he punches back at them, it's, oh, my God, he's attacking two women of color again. Oh, my God, how dare he talk about Elijah Cummings in such terms? Elijah Cummings is black, you know, more racial division from Donald Trump. It's bogus. It's garbage. He he insults people that insult him. Black, white, brown, red, purple, or yellow with blue dots. It doesn't matter. Back to Heather McDonald. According to the academic template, to criticize a person of color is inevitably about race. Mr. Buttigieg ran afoul of this rule by firing South Bend's black police chief for secretly taping the officer's uh, taping officers' phone calls. The idea that the mayor fired the chief because he was black is absurd. Yet Mr. Buttigieg inevitably faced charges of racial insensitivity. Likewise, advocates and the media deemed Mr. Trump's non-racial denunciation of Baltimore's leadership racist. Never mind that the victims of the city's almost daily drive-by shootings are... Black. Race shields minority politicians from criticism. Haven't I been saying that for years? In the five years or so we've been doing this show, we've talked about this in depth, and I've been talking about it since 2008 on Cleveland Radio, um, about Barack Obama. Race shields minority politicians from criticism, is how Heather McDonald words it. I have worded it. Barack Obama and other minority politicians use their brown skin as a coat of armor. It deflects any criticism, any arrows of criticism coming at them. Ding! It bounces off of the coat of armor. Can't be touched. I'm a person of color. You criticized me, therefore you are a racist. That's what's happening. Who's making this about race? Who is dividing America along racial lines? Donald Trump or the left that continues to do this? Ms. Warren recently provided an unwitting summary of academic identity politics. Mr. Trump's, quote, central message to the American people, she declared, is if there's anything wrong in your life, 
Blame them. And them means people who aren't the same color as you. End quote. She has in mind a white you. But change the race and you encapsulate the reigning assumption on college campuses that white people are the source of non-white people's problems. And any behavior or, or cultural explanations for economic disparities are taboo. The Academy's reflexive labeling of non-conforming views as hate speech has also infiltrated popular rhetoric against Mr. Trump. The president's views on border control and national sovereignty are at odds with the apparent belief among Democratic elites that people living outside the country are entitled to enter at will and without consequence for illegal entry. To the academic and Democratic left, however, a commitment to border enforcement can only arise from hate. You hate brown people. That's the reason you're trying to support the border and enforce the border, because you hate brown people. Such a preemptive interpretation is a means of foreclosing debate and stigmatizing dissent from liberal orthodoxy. Identity politics, now a driving force in the Democrat Party, it celebrates the racial and ethnic identities of designated victim groups, while consigning whites, especially heterosexual white males, to scapegoat status. But its advocates should be careful what they wish for. If whiteness is a legitimate topic of academic and political discourse, some individuals are going to embrace white identity proudly. This is exactly what I talked about after El Paso. To note the inevitability of white identity identity men like the El Paso killer. But the dominant culture is creating a group of social pariahs a very small percentage of whom, already unmoored from traditional sources of meaning and stability, such as family, are taking their revenge through stomach-churning mayhem. Overcoming racial divisiveness will be difficult, but the primary responsibility rests with its main propagators, the academic left, and its imitators in politics and mass media. That's Heather McDonald from the Manhattan Institute, along with some very well-placed commentary by yours truly. And it is true. If there is a racial division in this country, and there is, and you are looking to assign blame to those who have fostered that racial division, and you should, you will come to the same conclusion time and time and time again. Racial division has been fostered by the American left. The eight years of the Obama administration, the eight years of Obama blaming police for, for the black community's problems, blaming white people for the black community's problems, calling racism when people dare criticize him. The left, the supportive, the Obama supportive, the Obama water carriers in the, in the media, the mass media, uh, saying any criticism of Barack Obama is just being fueled by your anti-black uh, racist attitudes. You don't like having a black president, so you're criticizing him. If you don't like Obamacare, you hate blacks. If you don't like the uh, Iran nuclear deal, you hate blacks. If you don't like the Paris Climate Accords, you hate blacks because Barack Obama's black, and he uh, was supportive of all those things. You're just against the black guy. Racial division in America is real. It is going to play a huge role in the 2020 presidential election outcome. But anybody who blames that racial division on Donald Trump, who hardly ever talks about race, and attempts to unify people by ignoring cults at best and outright fabrications at worst, 
the racial divisiveness or divisiveness, depending on your preference, in this country is being driven by the American left. Heather McDonald is right. And so am I. 1022, the Bob France Authority, right back after this. Now heard through downtown, through greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM, it's the Bob France Authority. All right, 1027 out of Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420, The Answer. Coming up uh, after the bottom of the hour news, we're going to uh, shift gears a little bit, talk about anti-Christianity uh, rather than the racial division and so on and so forth going on. Chad Robichaud of, of, of um, Mighty Oaks Foundation is going to be joining us to talk about uh, Christianity being banned by YouTube, censored by social media because it is somehow, some way, hate speech. We'll talk about that with him coming up. I want to go to the president, though, now, because the president's been tweeting all morning long. Some of this you may have heard, some of this you may have not. Um, and unfortunately, none of these tweets have any bearing on what we had talked about earlier, which is his comments that are being uh, criticized heavily about disloyal Jews, saying that Jews who vote for Anti-Semitic Democrats are being disloyal. The left is twisting that to mean that he is saying he's demanding loyalty to himself from Jews. He's demanding loyalty to the United States, which would be an anti-Israel kind of message. And, of course, we all know that President Trump is the most pro-Israel president of, of our lifetimes. Um, but uh, he, he needs to clear that up. He spoke in a very clumsy way. He does this. He is a clumsy speaker. There's just no two ways about it. He's not eloquent. He speaks before he thinks. He tries to come up with the best words, as he says, before the, the, his brain gives him the right words. He needs to tweet and clarify what he meant by disloyalty. He meant disloyalty to Jews. Jews are being disloyal to themselves if they vote for anti-Semitic candidates. And he's right. I mean, there's no way to dispute that. And here's what he has tweeted uh, in this morning's tweet storm. Thank you to Wayne Allen Root for the very nice words. Quote, President Trump is the greatest president for Jews and for Israel in the history of the world. Not just America. He's the best president for Israel in the history of the world. And the Jewish people in Israel love him. And he's like he's the king of Israel. They love him like he's the second coming of God. But American Jews don't know him or like him. They don't even know what they're doing or saying anymore. It makes no sense. But that's okay. If he keeps doing what he's doing, he's good for all Jews, blacks, gays, everyone. And importantly, he's good for everyone in America who wants a job. Wow. So President Trump retweeting uh, Wayne Allen Root for that. He then tweeted, quote, Brandon Judd, President, National Border Patrol Council. This will effectively end catch and release and curb illegal entries. Speaking, of course, what we talked to Dave Ray about, which is... Um, the end to the Flores Agreement, uh, which limits to 20 days the length of time that an illegal migrant can be held in uh, if they have a child in uh, U.S. custody. Then he tweeted about uh, the squids. Quote, Representative Tlaib wants to cut off aid to Israel. This is the new face of the Democrat Party. Read the AOC Plus 3 statements on their hatred of Jews in Israel. Check out Rep. Omar. The great people of Minnesota won't stand for this. Next tweet, the speed bump has been missteps by the Federal Reserve. So true. He's quoting Charles Payne now about the fears of recession. He then tweeted, the fake news lamestream media is doing everything possible 
to create a U.S. recession, even though the numbers and facts are working totally in the opposite direction. They would be willing to hurt so many people, but that doesn't matter to them. Our economy is too strong. Sorry. By the way, that's my favorite tweet of the morning. He's 100% right. It's exactly what I did my show on yesterday. Oh, actually, uh, Monday. Uh, finally, no, I'm sorry, a couple more. Doing great with China and other trade deals. The only problem is that we have is Jay Powell and the Fed. He's like a golfer who can't putt. He has no touch. Big U.S. growth if he does the right thing. Big cut. But don't count on him. So far he has called it wrong and only let us down. We are competing with many countries that have a far lower interest rate, and we should be lower than them. Yesterday, highest dollar in U.S. history. No inflation. Wake up, Federal Reserve. Such growth potential almost like never before. My proposal to the politically correct automobile companies would lower the average price of a car to consumers by more than $3,000, while at the same time making the car substantially safer. Engines would run smoother, very little impact on the environment, foolish executives. So Germany is paying zero interest and actually being paid to borrow money, while the U.S., a far stronger and more important credit, is paying interest and just stopped, I hope. Quantitative tightening, strongest dollar in history, very tough on exports, no inflation. Where is the Federal Reserve? That's the president's tweet storm this morning, hoping he adds to it with some clarity on the disloyal comment. It'll go a long way toward ending this ridiculous talking point for the left. News now, back after this. Ten thirty six. As we continue on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. We're scheduled to ch- to uh, talk with um, one of the founders of Mighty Oaks Foundation. Um, it's a warrior program. It is specifically an organization dedicated to assisting people who have suffered wartime trauma, kind of like PTSD, but much more than that. Uh, the Muddy Oaks Foundation is a charity providing support and discipleship to those suffering from wartime trauma. Uh, what happened is, is, uh, they ran an ad, um, a YouTube ad for this veterans ministry outreach for those in need. It was denied because of the use of the word Christian. That's right. Christian. Censorship is terrible no matter who it is censoring. It is also perhaps maybe a little bit more egregiously terrible, in my opinion, um, when we're just talking about the dominant religion of this country. Since when is Christianity uh, something that is hate speech? Internet censorship should terrify everyone, conservative, liberal, Christian, Muslim, this is a dangerous course for America. I, I, I don't understand this at all. But we're sp- scheduled to speak with Chad Robichaud from Mighty Oaks, uh, but uh, unable to reach him at this time, so we'll let you know and update you on that as soon as we can. Uh, Bob is calling us from Burton on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Bob. Go right ahead. How you doing, Bob? Good, sir. What's on uh, your mind? My, my question is, you know, like with all this talk about uh, the mental health, mental health issues with the gun, you know, the gun... Uh, uh, people that are just fighting and everything how come nobody's brought in the fact that the aclu has got so much to do with the the fact that you know, they can't do anything about the mental health health issue because every time they try to do pass a law the aclu stops you know steps in brings a lawsuit because it violates the civil rights i'm not sure what you're talking about uh, bob can you explain what you mean what do you mean every time they try to pass a law on mental health 
Well, uh, for instance, there was, you know, in Connecticut, they were trying to pass a law to put, you know, to put it, make it easier to put people in the mental institutions when they have, uh, you know, real severe problems. Yet uh, when they, the, when they tried to pass it, the ACLU stopped, stepped in, brought a lawsuit, blocked it. And next thing you know, you had the Sandy Hook tragedy and that mother had been waiting for that ability to put her son into an institution. You're that talking, was, you're talking about involuntary, part. you're talking about involuntary commissions. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it, I, I don't know, uh, it, Bob, it's a very, very difficult thing to answer, to be 100% honest with you, because, um, involuntary commissions are pretty rare. Um, what the, what the gun law, what those who are trying to, uh, restrict guns, um, are, are trying to say is that it's not just people who are so severely, um, psychologically impaired that they have to be committed against their will to a facility. They're just saying that anybody that is deemed by somebody who, you know, you mentioned the Sandy Hook shooter, Lanza, his, uh, his mother was going to involuntarily commit him, involuntarily commit him. She knew how dangerous he was. And of course, he then stole her guns, killed her, uh, and, and killed all of those people. That's a very, very, uh, extreme circumstance. What they're talking about is saying anybody who's, you know, expresses anger in a given moment, somebody who expresses depression in a given moment, or somebody who has, uh, you know, hateful views according to the observer can then call and say, I think that person should have their guns taken away from them because I think they're dangerous. And then, of course, we get into the due process issues. That's a little different than somebody who's so far gone that they should be involuntarily committed by uh, family members or somebody else to an institution. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but but on the other hand, you got that, that guy out there in Arizona that shot the congresswoman. Yeah. Now, his, mo- his mother knew that he had mental problems. The college right. knew that he had mental problems. And even the sheriff's department knew that they had mental problems. Yet they still wouldn't put that guy away because they were afraid of violating his civil rights. Yeah, well, it's a you know that's what you're talking about though, Bob. Is a I don't disagree with you, but I'm just saying before I agree fully with you, we are talking about a very very difficult uh, um, uh, thing to do to take somebody and lock them up. You you better have proof. You better have concrete proof that they're going to be a danger to themselves or somebody else before you lock them up in a rubber room. Um, you know, it's it's like involuntarily, uh, you know, imprisonment. And you might say, well, no. it's for your own good. Well, how, you know what I mean? I think there. Ha- I guess what all I'm trying to say, Bob, is I think there has to be a high bar, a high standard has to be set before it's okay to take somebody and lock them up involuntarily for psychological eval or psychological treatment um, just by by somebody else's hunch or somebody else's say-so. I think there has to be a real high bar for that. Uh, and, and the ACLU, in, in one of the rarest moments of, I think, them being useful, um, should be looking out for the best interest of individuals so that they can, uh, you know, have an opportunity to prove that they are not necessarily threats or dangers or whatever. People should have due process against taking I, their I, firearms I, yeah. away from them or against taking firearms away from them or against, you know, putting them in a facility that they may or may not belong in. I think there better be due process. You better have a pretty high bar for that. And I think the ACLU would be wise to support that. One of the rare things I think they do do. Well, I hope I hope they do because see right now, like this is a fine line that we're standing on right now with 
the fact that you know a family member could say we think we have he has mental problems he might hurt, do some harm and they come right. along and take their guns away and this is crazy. a very I mean, fine line eight, and and you know what yeah, bob i'll tell you what i'm going to dig into this I'm going to dig in this on tomorrow's show. I've got uh, Governor DeWine on the program tomorrow. And and you know Governor okay. Mike DeWine has supported, ever since Dayton and El Paso, he has supported these red flag laws, which would do exactly what you and I just talked about. So I'm going to try to find out... Uh, you know where his mindset is on this tomorrow, and uh, and hopefully uh, you know uh, uh, get some answers and and maybe pose uh, some questions to the governor that perhaps he hasn't considered because um, it is very very important. So Governor Dewine is on the show. What time is he on tomorrow, Marcy? I, I just want to clarify. Governor Dewine is on. Ten thirty-five. All right, there you go. Uh, last uh, segment of the show. So at this time tomorrow, uh, Governor Mike DeWine will be joining me to discuss red flag laws and uh, uh, gun rights and and so on and so forth. I might even squeeze in a few questions about the state of Ohio's economy. Might even talk about that ten cent gas tax that he imposed on uh, uh, drivers as well. So I'll get all of that stuff answered by the governor tomorrow. Gary is in Berea next on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hi, Gary. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh... First thing, I just want to say that these polls, okay, that are being uh, conducted or these alleged polls are so mm-hmm. skewed and so out of whack. Uh, in 79, 80, I owned a political research uh, company. And if you know, noticed last time when uh, uh, Trump was running, uh, there were virtually no signs out until the day before the election because nobody wants to be... Uh, uh, you know, a victim of uh, retaliation from these uh, people on the left, and they will do it. You know, they'll throw things at your house. They'll tear, you know tear your signs up. So nobody wants to say exactly that they're voting for Donald Trump. And uh, one other thing, hey Bob, if I could mention, can I? Talk it's called about- this, uh, yo, Gary. Hold on. It, it's called. Uh, Hugh talked about this this morning too. It's called the silent majority. There is. Exactly. I totally believe it. It was it was true in yeah. 2016, and I think it's true in yeah. 20, 2019-20. There are so many people who are tired of being called racist, tired of being right. called, uh, and they see other people being attacked uh, for being white supremacists, et cetera, et cetera, for showing their support for Trump. So they sit quietly, yeah. and they don't uh, go out there and, and advertise it. They don't answer polls, and uh, they just right. go out on Election Day and vote. And uh, in that silent exactly. majority, I totally agree with you, is still there. Hey, Bob, can I mention one thing about um, there's the Republican Party in Strongsville that's going to have a clam bake on uh, September 9th, and, and we'd love to have everybody come. I live in Berea, but that's where I go and hang out for uh, – uh, when, I, when I'm talking politics, to be with like people like myself, because there is no organization really in Berea or Middleburg Heights or anything. So it's going to be September 9th, and if people can go to uh, uh, strongsvillegop.org. And uh, the guy who's putting it on, who runs the club out there, Shannon Burns, Shannon is very, very, very much a part of the president's uh committee to uh, get, get him re- reelected. He, he is doing much of the uh, the lay work in the you know in the field setting up events and that sort of thing for the president. He's a great guy, young guy. so we encourage everybody to come out and uh, and just go right to the internet to pick up tickets and and uh, what's the out, website again? Okay, it is Strongville. It's the ninth of uh, September. It's September. 
GOP.org. You can get your tickets there. And we DrongsvilleGOP.org. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Got it. Got it. Well, I appreciate the heads up on that, Gary. It's it's great. You're right. It is great to get people of like mind, uh, like minds together, and and discuss strategies, and uh, you know, and 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 to try to move this country forward. It is a uh, a huge um, uh, of huge importance to make sure that we can get together because there is strength in numbers, and uh, and absolutely, the president needs all the support he can get, and so does um, uh, the agenda, his agenda, and our agenda, which are one and the same. By the way, you brought up polling. Caller brought a polling. Gary just brought a polling. There, there is some polling that needs to be uh, attended to. You have to pay attention to. Uh, Axios just did a poll showing that 62% of the public favor banning, quote, semi-automatic guns. This is a major problem. And it's because of ignorance. It's because of handgun ignorance. It's because of, essentially, of, uh, uh, of, of firearm ignorance. Because all handguns, Katie Pavlich pointed this out, uh, which I think everybody who's ever fired a gun knows, all handguns, minus revolvers, are semi-automatic. If they don't know the difference, they can't define what an assault rifle is. Not to mention to explain how current background, the current background check system works. All handguns are semi-automatic. Meaning, of course, that one round is dispensed with every pull of the trigger. That's semi-automatic. Automatic is multiple rounds are uh, uh, discharged with the single pull of the trigger until you let it let go of it. Every handgun, again, minus revolvers, are thus then semi-automatic. So, sixty-two percent of the public is favoring banning guns. Period. Forget about some. That means they ju- they don't know this, but they mean they are se- essentially saying. We are against the Second Amendment, but they don't even know it because the left has done such a brilliant job. The the um, media has done such a brilliant job, but I repeat myself uh, it, it, at confusing people by calling, you know, AR-15s, quote, weapons of war. It's an assault rifle. It's a weapon of war. It's not a weapon of war. No American soldier is going into a firefight with an AR-15. They're not going in there with semi-automatic weapons. They're going in there with automatic weapons. They call them assault weapons. They call them uh, weapons of war. And, and they assume that if this is a weapon of war and it's a semi-automatic rifle, then we have to stop semi-automatic guns. Every gun minus revolver, every handgun is a semi-automatic weapon. So it's the confusion, the intentional confusion, the misinformation, the lies being told by the left about what these things really are that are affecting those polls. No, 62% of Americans are not in favor of repealing the Second Amendment. But this survey shows that they would be. All right, it's 1050. We'll get a quick time out here. Final segment of the broadcast coming up. If you want to get in with a thought or two, do it now. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Don't forget what I said. Governor DeWine tomorrow on this program at 1035. You're not going to want to miss that chat, I promise you. Right back after this. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420. The answer.
right, final segment now at 1053, the Bob France Authority. Wrapping it up here quickly on uh, this Wednesday morning. Don't forget, stay where you are because Gallagher's coming up next. Prager, Dr. G, Dr. Sebastian Gorka, before Jay Seculo Live and Larry Elder. Dr. G, by the way, is coming to Cleveland. If you have not yet heard, I talked about this yesterday. We started running the ads this week so that you know about the War for America's Soul Tour. That's right. The War for America's Soul is coming to Cleveland. Um, Hugh Hewitt, Dr. G, Sebastian Gorka, and I will be on stage on uh, November 21st. November 21st. This is going to be an enormous opportunity to really mobilize, to organize and mobilize with one another uh, as we head into, of course, exactly 12 months from that particular point, the 2020 election. Uh, we will discuss all matters of integral importance in this country, from ra- radical socialism to racial divides to illegal immigration to social infighting, uh, and so much more, to academic misconduct, which is what I am calling essentially most college campuses now. They are guilty of academic misconduct because they are not teaching, they are indoctrinating all of this. The war for America's soul. Uh, so we will be on stage at uh, the Holiday Inn on Rockside Road in Independence, November 21st. That'll be a 7 o'clock event. If you would like to go, uh, you got to get tickets. Tickets, general admission, are $25. You're not going to want to miss this. VIP dinner tickets are $75. And if you would like to have dinner with us at our tables, you can sit at my table or Hugh Hewitt's table, or Dr. Sebastian Gorka's table, that's a $150 ticket. Uh, you really, really do not want to miss this. Every time we have one of these live shows where some of the national hosts join me on stage here in Northeast Ohio somewhere, um, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal event. People are talking about it for days and weeks after. It mobilizes and excites, and it just creates an enthusiasm that you cannot... Um, you cannot put a price on. You just can't, uh, because then we take that, of course, into our work, our activist work, our uh, political work, whatever it is that we have to do to make sure that we win that war for America's soul, and that means winning elections. So that's coming up. Make sure you check out whkradio.com right now. Go to the uh, banner at the top and click that banner if you would like tickets to attend the War for America Soul Tour in November. you got a little bit of time, but don't wait, because you know what you don't have a lot of time for? Those tickets at the tables are always the first ones to sell. People want to sit with the, with the hosts. And, uh, and I love interacting with the wonderful people who uh, join me at my table. So those will go first, and they will go fast. Do not wait if you want to join us for dinner, uh, a VIP dinner and meet and greet and photo opportunity as well with the hosts personally at the War for America Soul Tour. Uh, we're going to the phones again now. And my friend Khalid Namar, uh, once again joining us on AM 1420, The Answer, co-host of the Todd Allen Show Sunday nights. On AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Hey, Khalid, how are you, sir? I'm well, my brother. I just thought of something real quick. The when the squids were refused entry into Israel, and of course, uh, people sort of flipped their wigs about it. I didn't hear any of these same people sort of, even though this is not exactly analogous, uh, speak out when some of these mayors and elected officials like Beto and others uh, said Trump was not welcome somewhere. Now they can't stop him from coming. But no one has ever spoke out and said, so, hey, this is the president of the United States. How do you say he's not welcome in El Paso? How do you say he's not welcome in Dayton? And I think that just shows you reason number 245 why they're just absolute fraud. Um, because 
regardless of how you feel about the president of the United States, he's the president of the United States. You don't tell him he's not welcome in an American city. And I think that's sort of ridiculous. But um, speaking of war for America's soul. That's by the, before you continue, before you continue, I just want to tell you, it's a brilliant observation. That is exactly correct. That's what they tried to do. They tried to say that Donald Trump was not welcome in El Paso or in Dayton because of idiot idiots blaming him for you know motivating or for the motivations of of these shooters it is simply ridiculous of course and yet these same people then criticized israel and in this case there is no you know ridiculous connection specifically they introduced resolutions did omar and talib in the house of representatives to support bds of israel which is essentially the attempted destruction of Israel. And they, yes. you, they, you, you can't deny them from coming to a place they want to destroy. The hypocrisy yeah. there is so thick, and that's a great observation. I just wanted to underscore that. Sorry, go ahead. Not to mention, not to mention the blatant you know, inconsistency of going someplace where you're going to be spending money while you're advocating boycotting it and, and divesting right. and sanctioning it. These people are, they are not well people. We know no. this. No, they're uh, not. <laughs> But real quick, tomorrow you're going to have uh, Dr. Everett Piper on, as usual, on Thursdays. And for those who want to come out and see our discussion on keeping the republic at Wagner's on Westlake with Dr. Piper, uh, please check out. You can get tickets on Eventbrite and uh, American www.americantrinityproject.org. Dr. Piper, Tom I dropped the ball last Thursday, Khalid. I forgot to talk to Dr. Piper about your event. I will not drop it tomorrow. i got to go because we're about to hit the hard close, but I will not drop the ball tomorrow. I'll make sure to talk about that with Dr. Piper. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.